The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated, kiddos. You can follow Mr. Don, and you can head to Kids Worship. I think you're going to get to do some fun stuff this morning. So it's uh, they might have more fun than we do, church. I don't know. So, uh, but uh, anyhow. Well, this morning we continue our Advent series during the Christmas season. Last week, if you were here, we, we saw in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, that his light is our life. And, and I want to encourage you, if you didn't miss last week, go, go to our website, go to our Apple podcast or Spotify podcast and listen to that sermon to stay up to date and caught up during this series. But, but here are the cliff notes. Last week we saw that the light of Christ is our life. And so no matter how bleak or how dark it may get, church, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not, cannot, will not ever overcome it. It is against the darkest of nights that the light shines the brightest. Well, this morning we will see in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. That'll be our passage this morning. You can turn with me there in God's word. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. We will see that his light is our purpose. His light is our purpose. And so let's read these three verses with me. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we pray that that your spirit would come now, that he would open our eyes to your truth, that he would open our hearts to receive your truth, that he would open our hands to obey your truth this week. This is a supernatural thing right now, and so we pray, Holy Spirit, be at work. We pray all this for Christ's sake and in his name, for his worship, for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, church, first this morning, we are going to see that John the Baptist, that he was sent by God. Now, now if you've grown up in church, probably one of the most vivid characters you learned in Sunday school as a child was John the Baptist, right? Because he was that guy who had long hair. He wore camel's hair for clothing. And he ate the best part of all. He ate bugs, right? Now, as a kid, that was like my favorite, my favorite thing. There was a guy, a, a, a guy God used that ate bugs, right? But, but do you know something amazing that happened during his ministry? Despite his physical appearances and his dietary choices, uh, despite all of that, Matthew chapter 3 says that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew continues and he says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Did, did you catch that? John the Baptist, he wasn't going to them preaching. No, they were coming to him. They, they were willing to leave their houses, their villages, their towns, and, and more than likely walk 
20 miles or more to the Jordan River in the middle of nowhere, Judea, to hear John the Baptist preach about the necessity of repentance. So, so what drew these people to John the Baptist? Well, like we said, it wasn't his outward appearance. He, he wasn't wearing skinny jeans and designer clothes, and he didn't have some sweet new hairdo. Now, what drew the people to Podunk, Judea, was that they heard the news and they caught wind that there was a man sent from God preaching. Now, now to maybe, maybe you're like, okay, so what? But to understand the significance of that statement and why that is such a big deal, we need to remember the redemptive context in which we find our passage. Because you see, the people of Israel... They found themselves in what, was, what has been called the 400 years of silence. They were living in a time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, during which God had not raised up a prophet to speak to his people. It was the 400 years of silence because God had seemingly, seemingly been silent to his people. And also, not to make things worse, during these 400 years, They were times of great oppression and great suffering for the Jewish people as they were conquered by the Greek and the Egyptian armies. And then ultimately by Rome itself in 63 B.C. And so ever since that day, Israel lived under Roman occupation without a single new word from the Lord. And so maybe that I hope that that sets the stage for you to feel a little bit of the despair that maybe they were feeling. And can't you hear Israel saying something like this? God, it feels as though you have abandoned us. We've been subjugated by the Gentiles. They have desecrated the holy of holies. And we haven't even heard a new word from you in over 400 years. Back to our passage. Do you see the significance of this sentence now? That there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The first time in over 400 years, God sent, raised up a new prophet to speak to his people. And do you see now why droves of people traveled to the backwaters of Judea to see this man named John? This man, he was sent by the Almighty One of the universe to prepare the way, to be the forerunner for the one who would come to bring salvation to the world. Now, now for time's sake, I'm, I'm only going to share one theological observation from this verse. There's, there's plenty more. I tried to fit it in, uh, but since you don't want to be here for an hour, uh, I cut it out. So uh, you're welcome. Uh, but, uh, but, but this one theological observation is this, church. God will remain faithful to his promises and to his people. Listen, I know that there are some of you in this room right now, maybe you are questioning the faithfulness of God. You wouldn't say it out loud. You want to keep the good Christian facade, but inside you're questioning God's faithfulness. You've been through bouts of sickness. You've received life-altering medical diagnoses. You've been in a prolonged season of living under that dark cloud of malaise and depression. Maybe you've been struggling with chronic financial problems or you've endured years of chronic pain. Maybe you've been reading your Bible and praying, 
but it's been a while since you've experienced the nearness and the fellowship of the Lord. Or maybe, maybe you're in a season of waiting on the Lord. And after a significant time has passed, you still find yourself waiting on the Lord with maybe no progress in sight. Wherever you may find yourself this morning, like Israel, you may be asking the question, how long, O Lord? But do you remember those 400 years of silence? The beginning of that period of silence was marked with a promise from the Lord, where he promised in Malachi chapter 4 to send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the day of the Lord. In other words, God promised to send a prophet who would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so fast forward a few years into Jesus's ministry. Jesus says this. He says, I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him. Matthew then comments by saying, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. And so all of that to this point, Jesus said that God fulfilled his promise given over 400 years earlier by sending John the Baptist to prepare his people for the coming of the Messiah. And so mark my words, church, God is always faithful to his promises. Listen, it may not happen within your timeline, but may we never forget the truth that a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years to the Lord. He's not bound by time. No, as we learned last week, he transcends time. And so it's true. He may not act according to your timing, but he will always act in accordance with his perfect timing. 400 years of silence, 400 years of waiting, and 400 years of God preparing his people to witness his faithfulness. How, how many of you have some sort of a retirement account, right? Maybe some of you, if you don't have yet have one started, not at, I don't, this isn't a pastoral word, but just pragmatically, encourage you to open one up, go ahead and start that, uh, But for those of you who do have a 401k, an IRA, or something, some other investing account, right? When you're looking online at at the different funding uh, investment options, you you look through the one year, the three year, the five year, the 10 year performance uh, records, and you you try to assess, okay, which is the best fund to put my money in? But but as you're looking at each one of those funds, what is the common thread uh, throughout all of them? At the bottom, in the fine print, Each fund will have the uh, the same disclaimer that says something along the lines of this. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Right? It's a way for them to cover their... By saying what happened in the past is not guaranteed to happen in the future. But listen, church. While that disclaimer may be true of your investment funds, this... Disclaimer is true of your God. That past performance is indicative of future results with God. And so when you're going through a season of life that your circumstances are tempting you to question the goodness and the faithfulness of God, look to his works of old. Read Psalm chapter 136. Look to his work on the cross and in his resurrection 
Recount his past faithfulnesses to you. And remember and trust with all of your heart this truth. That when it comes to the Lord, past performance is indicative of future results. God has been faithful. He is faithful. And he will be faithful to his promises and to his people. And we know that, at least in part, because of this sentence. That there was a man sent from God whose name was John. But also this morning we see that John was sent by God for a purpose, and that is to witness about the light. Read with me verses 7 through 8. The Apostle John says this, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so here John outlines the purpose for John the Baptist's ministry, that he was sent by God to bear witness in testimony to the truth, to the truth that the new covenant has come. Because the light of the world has come to save God's people. Now, now in the other Gospels, the, the evangelists Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they summarize John's ministry by, by saying, by quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. That John the Baptist, he was this voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And so during ancient times, when a king would go into a new area of his kingdom, there would be a forerunner who would go ahead of the king. And the purpose of this forerunner was twofold. A, it was to prepare the road, literally to repair the roadway for the king's chariot. But also, as they were preparing the road, this forerunner would also proclaim to the surrounding villages and towns, the king is coming. Get ready, the king is coming. And so in quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the three other gospel writers, they said that the purpose of John's ministry, it was A, to prepare the way for the king by preaching a message of repentance. And then B, his purpose was to proclaim to all who would hear, the king is coming. The king is coming. Or maybe according to the apostle John here, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Now that word witness, it, it comes from the Greek word Martyria, which if you're, if you're listening closely, you can sense what, what the English word that we get from, it's martyr. So John came to testify, to witness, to point others to, and to proclaim that the true light, he was coming into the world. John says he was not the light. No, he came to bear witness about the light. And we see then now, number three, the result of his ministry. And that is John was sent by God to bear witness about the light so that the world would believe. Now, in preparing this sermon and thinking through, I think the best example of John's witnessing ministry, it is found a few verses later in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist says this after seeing Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he goes on to say, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. There's no greater way to witness to the Lord Jesus than those words. And so John, in saying that he was building upon Leviticus chapter 16, when it talks about an annual event that was instituted in Israel's national existence, it was called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest, he would go into the holy place and he would take with him a male goat. And with one hand, he would put it on top of the head of the goat. 
And with the other hand, he would take a knife and he would slit the throat of this goat. And in this sacrificial act, the high priest, he was symbolically placing the sins of Israel onto this animal. And then the animal was killed in the place as a substitute for God's people. In other words, God's judgment fell upon the animal so that God's forgiveness could flow to his people. So over a thousand years later, when the prophet John the Baptist sees Jesus walking by him and when he proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In effect, what John is saying is this, that all the symbolism of old has now given way to the substance. Everything the Old Testament has prepared us for has now been fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, when Jesus went to the cross, he served as both the high priest and as the sacrifice, as the lamb. On the cross, Jesus offered up the perfect and final sacrifice for sinners, his own body. But contrary to the day of the atonement, Jesus' sacrificial death, it wasn't merely a symbolic act. No, on the cross, God's wrath and his judgment for sinners fell upon Christ. And he paid the penalty for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. So that church, God's forgiveness could flow toward you and me. Or as we said last week, his life is our life because his death was our death. We can't separate Christmas from Easter, the cradle from the cross. No, Jesus was born to die and John was born to testify to this Messiah. Do you see though in verse seven what the result of John's witnessing was? He came to witness so that all would believe through him. And I think this is most exemplified in John chapter 3 when John's disciples, they, they came up to him and said, in effect, paraphrasing, uh, this is the Seth standard version. Uh, but they said, John, your crowds are getting smaller because everyone is now going and following Jesus. They saw that as a problem. And just like many church growth gurus today, they thought that the success of a ministry was equated to the size of a ministry. But John corrects them. He says, no, no, no. He says, the one who has been, who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands here and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And so if you didn't catch all that, here's the translation. The wedding day, it's about the groom. It's not about the best man. And so John ends this by saying, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Listen, John knew the true success of a ministry. It's measured by whether people are faithfully and fervently following after Jesus. John's disciples were saying, your prominence, it's waning. The other guy down the road, he's taking all the limelight. To which John replies, good. This joy of mine, it's now complete because now Jesus, he's getting all the shine. Now up to this point of the sermon, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's all great. John the Baptist, he was sent by God to be a witness about the light so that the world would believe, but, but I'm no prophet. I'm no pastor. I'm not a missionary. How in the world could this possibly apply to my life today? But do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 about our relation to John the Baptist? 
Jesus said this. He said, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. But here's the kicker. Get this. Jesus says this. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Uh, One scholar, he helps us in saying that the least in the kingdom is greater than John precisely in this way. That is, John proclaimed Jesus with greater clarity than those who came before him. So now the least in the kingdom now proclaims Jesus with greater clarity than even John the Baptist himself. Because John died as a martyr, Rayon, as a martyr. And it's recorded in Matthew 14, which means he never got to see Jesus go to the cross. He never got to see Jesus rise from the dead. He never got to see the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. But the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven, even if you've only been a Christian for five minutes, you at least know that Jesus has come to die on the cross for your sins and he rose again for your justification. So listen, John the Baptist, his ministry may have had a different context and a different time to a different people with a different redemptive purpose. But listen, just as John was sent by God, you too have been sent by God to be a witness in this world. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 20, later in this book. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so listen, church, to an even greater degree and with even greater clarity than John the Baptist, if you are a Christian, you have now been sent by God to bear witness about the light so that the world would believe. And so during this Christmas season, I want to encourage you in two simple ways. Two simple applications. The first is I want to encourage you to memorize Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. This is the scene you, you might remember. This is the scene where Joseph, he's considering quietly divorcing Mary due to her supposed impropriety. But then, right, something miraculous happens. An angel meets Joseph in a dream. And he tells him that Mary's baby has been miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then the angel says this, Matthew 1, 21, one of the most important verses in all the Bible. The angel says this, that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so I want to encourage you, it's short, but I want to encourage you this week, work on memorizing this one verse. The reason why I want to encourage you to do that is for the second application. I want to, you, I want to encourage you to pray for and to seek out opportunities to share this verse with a family member, neighbor, person at the grocery store, or whomever God might bring into your path. And so it might look like baking some cookies for a neighbor, right? Knocking on their door and wishing them a Merry Christmas. And then as you're handing them the cookies, who can deny cookies, right? As you're handing them the cookies, you say something like this to them. During the Christmas season, we as Christians, we celebrate Jesus's birth. Here's the key question to ask them. But do you know why Jesus was born? Have you ever heard the story of why Jesus was born? And so then, since you've memorized Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, you proceed to share that verse with them. 
that Jesus's purpose for coming to this earth was to save his people from their sins. And then you can ask something along the lines of this. I want to ask you the most important question you'll ever hear in your life. And that is this. Has Jesus ever saved you from your sins? Have you been forgiven by God for your sins? Are you trusting in the one who was born, who, who lived, who died, and who rose again for your salvation? You see how a simple tray of cookies can introduce a gospel conversation. And an eternity might change in a moment. Because listen, church, just like Israel, there are many in our city today who are living in their own version of years of silence. There are many here in the Tulsa metro who have never once heard this good news of great joy. That a Savior has come to rescue them and to liberate them, to free them from the bondage of sin. And listen, church, today, right now, there are over 3 billion people in our world who have never once heard this good news. I remember in 2011, hiking through the mountains of Myanmar in rural villages, and we would come to these villages and we would introduce ourselves, get to know them. We had a translator. And so after getting to know them, we would ask them this question. We'd look around to them, beautiful mountains, the Appalachian Mountains on steroids, and we would say, these mountains, they're gorgeous and stunning and beautiful. Do you know the one who created these mountains? We spoke to probably close to 100 people, if not more, on our trip. And without fail, time after time, with a bewildered look on their face, they would say, no, we don't know who created these mountains. They didn't know God as creator, much less him as savior. And there are over 3 billion people around the world just like them. Now, I know that number is pretty big, (laughs) and so it might not mean anything practically to you. And so as a recall from last year, I'm going to break this number down in a more understandable understandable and meaningful way. Let's just assume 2% of these 3 billion, they've been reached with the gospel. That's a a generous assumption. And then let's just assume a 1% mortality rate, all right? That means that today, over 75,000 people, this hour, over 3,000 people, This minute, over 52 people and roughly one person every single second will die and will spend an eternity apart from Christ without once hearing this good news of great joy that they can be set free from their sin. And so this is true both for Tulsa and to the nations. As Carl F.H. Henry once said, The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Listen, church, his light is our purpose. Because we have now been sent by God to bear witness about the light so that the world may believe. And so I want to encourage you to pray for those in your sphere of influence who don't yet know Christ. And to pray for the unreached people groups of our world. There, there's, a, there's a guide that we'll have in the back. Um, it's from the International Mission Board. I encourage you to pick one of these up. It's a guided prayer time this week for you to pray for the unreached people groups of our world. And I want to encourage you to give and to give generously to our global missions offering. None of this, none of what you give to the global missions offering stays in this church. It will go out to fund mission work around our world. 
And I want to encourage you to go and to bear witness about the light so that people in your neighborhood and people all around might hear and believe. Because the question isn't, has God sent to me? Now we see from scripture, it's clear, Jesus has sent us as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The question is, where has God sent me? And to whom has God sent me? This calling from God is not just for the pastors and it's not just for the missionaries. No, if you have been called by God to receive his salvation, then you have also been called by God to serve in his mission. It takes all of us, church. There are no spectators. There are no non-essential citizens in God's kingdom. No, Jesus, he has sent and he has commissioned every single one of us to reach our family, our friends, our neighbors, and the nations with the gospel. And so it doesn't, it doesn't matter if, if you're not eloquent or if you don't have a charismatic personality or if you're lacking confidence. No, you have been given the spirit of God to bear witness to Christ. And listen, God does not call the equipped, right? He equips the called. You have been called. Every single one of you, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of the living God, you have been called. And you have been sent to bear witness about the light so that others would believe. And so my prayer is that as a church, we would leverage this Christmas season to share with others about the true reason for this season. And so I'll, I'll end uh, by asking you this question. And it's not a guilt question. It's a hopefully a barometer question. Will, will you spend your life Living maybe for your own prominence, your own pursuits, your own priorities, or maybe even your own little piddlings. While there are people waiting for you to share with them this good news of great joy. Or will you commit to let the light of Jesus Christ be your highest purpose in life. To shine it and to share it with all you see and hear. May we say along with John the Baptist this Christmas season, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. May it be so, church, all for the renown and the worship of our great and glorious King, who is the light of the world, Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.